Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. We've reached another semi milestone on the show. It's episode 75. That's cause for celebration, right? Well, regardless, we have two exciting new releases to discuss. The first is the long-awaited sophomore effort from Martha Marcy May Marlene director Sean Durkin. It's the Jude Law Carrie Coon-led The Nest. From there, we will dive into the first in a series of five new Steve McQueen films from Amazon Prime. The series is called Small Axe, and the introduction to this is called Mangrove. This leads us into this week's Pick 6 segment in which we honor Lorne Michaels' 70th birthday by ranking the six best films he produced, some based off of SNL sketches, some based on original material, and even a drama that was snuck in there among his filmography. Uh, But first, Andy, no throwback this week. Think we can possibly sneak this thing in in under an hour, or is that a pipe dream that's long passed us by, like me trying to play second base for the Cincinnati Reds? (laughs) I I don't know. I think that us trying to get an episode in under an hour is more unlikely than even you playing second base for the Cincinnati Than a 38-year-old free agent (laughs) second baseman. I think it is, yeah. (laughs) Our first new film this week is the first in a new series of films directed by Academy Award-winning director Steve McQueen that will drop on Amazon Prime Video every Friday for five straight weeks. This one recalls the real-life story of police brutality and racial tension centered around a Caribbean food restaurant in London's Notting Hill district. Let's discuss Mangrove. Mangrove. So Mangrove, well, well, I guess we should start off with Small Axe in general. Small Axe was, has some, is something that's been in the works since 2010, um, but it wasn't until like 2014 that McQueen announced that he was going to write and direct a series for the BBC about the experience of black people in uh, Britain. Um, I mean, that was six years ago. Fast forward to here and it's not only is it not a tv series um it is a series of five feature length films i think one of them is only like 70 minutes but still i mean they're they're feature length films you know Um, yeah they are and it's it's um it's it's kind of amazing to see where it is at this point um because it's been i guess for lack of a better word delayed to now we get a bigger scope and more of a, I mean, with, you know, what's gone on since this series has been kind of like con- conceived, uh, uh, the world in general has, has seen a wider kind of scope on racial tension in not just America, but obviously, um, beyond that and uh and so this small act series has taken on much more of a a, an importance so i think this is why we're seeing amazon kind of grasp this and 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 put it to the forefront of their platform right now yeah which is nice which is nice to see and and it seems like this particular this first one 
um, has a special place in McQueen's heart. I mean, clearly just doing a series about the black experience of uh, living in London is going to be close to McQueen's heart. But this one, as I mentioned, centers around a Caribbean food restaurant. And um, McQueen's ancestry goes back to the West Indies. Um, so this one is even more personal for him, I, I, it would appear, at least. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you get that sense almost right away. I mean, there's there's um, a different kind of tone to this film. If you're used to, if you're already familiar with Steve McQueen's kind of au revoir, then you, when you go into this, you're like, wow, this is a little bit different. I mean, in a way. You mean tonally? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, I mean, so so Mangrove is a is a restaurant in a not only a restaurant in not, the Notting Hill area of London, but it's also a, a, a meeting ground for a lot of people to meet and and kind of just kind of coincide in one area. And the police state of London is trying to suppress that and what we see here is because of the real life story that 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 is at play here we don't really we we, if you're familiar with um steve mcqueen in general you kind of see that this is a new ground that he's playing with it it ultimately culminates in a second half that is a courtroom drama but it it's a Steve McQueen style of a courtroom drama, which he's never been a director who is con- you could say is conventional, but he is given a story that kind of is conventional. Um, and and in this state, it's it's interesting to see. Um, I, I've seen a lot of people say that this is like not his area, and he shouldn't have taken this on, and it's kind of like ah. Uh, why is he doing this? But in the same sense, it's like, because like you said, this comes from something that he is very familiar with. And he has, he has kind of um, an investment in this emotionally from how he's grown up. And so that's how I went into seeing this. Um, it's, 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 it's very, I didn't hold it against the story, you know, that it's, a conventional courtroom drama in the second half of this film simply because that's the true story of it. I, I think that I think that Steve McQueen is pushing himself in ways here. I think he's saying, I can do this type of story, but I can do it in my own way. And honestly, I it, it does come in we have to mention it does come in the heat off the heels of Aaron Sorkin's the tri- uh, trial of the Chicago Seven, really shortly on the heels of that, and and, and the I, similarities abound. There are a lot of similarities, but Steve McQueen offers his own kind of direction to this kind of story, and it's honestly necessary. You know, it. it I mean, people have said, "Well, Steve McQueen shouldn't be doing this," but at the same time. Can't he give his own take on this? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm more than willing to forgive some of the the beats that it just naturally seems to hit along the way. Um, that I understand most viewers will see those and feel like, well, that's just predictable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it, I'm willing to forgive those things because he's doing it, like you said, in his own style, in his own way, and the way he uses and moves his camera um is still very inherently mcqueen um so for that reason this is a courtroom drama for uh, for lack of a better word because the second half of it is this is a courtroom drama unlike anything you've ever seen before uh sometime in 2021 when i get you to do courtroom drama pick six <laughs> we will talk about this again because it's because there's not a whole lot of really good ones um and you know there are certain shots that 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 you see throughout this film that you think that is a Steve McQueen shot. There's, oh yeah. There after a certain raid, there's a colander that gets knocked down on the floor, and we stay with a static shot on that colander as it's kind of rolling across the floor and eventually comes to rest, and it stays on that shot for I mean, what feels like two whole minutes of nothing happening but that. There's you know scenes where someone's locked in a holding cell and the way the way that the camera just stays on just their waist and you don't even see their face that's a very mcqueen kind of thing and he's done prison films before so you know that's not that's not too surprising um lots of like uh, uh interior shots that go all the way up to the ceiling and we hang on those for a while you know the way he holds shots longer than what your average director would feel comfortable doing or your average editor would feel comfortable allowing a director to do you know mm-hmm. that's a very inherently mcqueen thing and those are the those are the sort of little nuances and, and little flourishes that he brings to this material that is otherwise i don't want to say pedestrian but you've seen it before um and he does those things to kind of jar it loose and to remind you Hey, this is me we're talking about here, you know, and I, and I think that's what makes this film kind of special. Um, and another great thing that McQueen has always been able to do is elicit some big, great powerhouse performances out of his actors. And this film um, isn't short on those. I think um, chief among them would be Malachi Kirby as Darkest yes. Howe. And um, and I was really impressed with Letitia Wright as Althea. Um, the only thing I recall seeing her in previously was Black Panther, and she's the little sister in Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's all grown up in this, and I, I found that she did a really admirable job. Um, I, I feel like the main character in this is uh, Critchlow, who's played by Sean Parks. I've never seen him before in anything. Neither have I. Um, But I think the big star of this is Malachi Kirby, who, again, I've never seen him in anything either. I think what he's most famous for was they did a remake of Roots in 2016, and he plays Kunta Kinte in that. Um, Hmm. And I think that's what really got him on a lot of people's radar. But those are three really terrific performances, um, which isn't something that should surprise anyone who's familiar with McQueen's work because he's... He gets fantastic performances out of people. I mean, the reason we know who Chiwetelu Ejiofor is is because of Twelve Years a Slave. Fassbender has given riveting performances in three of his four films. 
I mean, he's a guy that can really like milk a great performance. I think we both agree. Carrie Mulligan's greatest performance ever might be uh, in a Steve McQueen film. Yeah, that's a good point to make. I mean, as much as, you know, we love Michael Fassbender, I think that the greatest performances given by Michael Fassbender have been in Steve McQueen movies. And I agree. I think my favorite all-time Carrie Mulligan performance is In Shame. Um, Maybe even my favorite favorite, uh, Michael Fassbender performance in the same movie. But yes, I mean, crazy enough... Crazily enough, I think that the reason that majority of the world knows about Chiwetel Ejiofor is because of Twelve Years a Slave. Even though he, even though he, you know, was around for quite a long yeah. time before that. Well, well but, we we seem to, th- you know, not just we, but but most people seem to think of McQueen as a visual director, a director that's that's most known for his style. But I mean, I, I, and so for that reason, I think it gets lost. The fact that he is such a great director when it comes to to uh, uh, corralling actors and really eliciting mm-hmm. terrific, perf- really, really like powerful, vulnerable performances out of the out of them. And this movie is not an exception. Um, I also wanted to note that Sam Spruill, who plays the the downright evil cop mm. in this, he, I mean. He, he's somebody that he's one of those that guys that you recognize from television and things. And he always plays a complete and other utter despicable asshole. And he mm-hmm. is at his most despicably in, in, in yeah. this. Yeah. He's terrible in this, but he also is effective enough to where he makes it memorable that he's awful. Um, you know, I, I totally agree. I think that McQueen directs his actors, brilliantly and this is no exception like you said i mean the teacher right is phenomenal here uh i mean i think we have you know kirby is i agree my favorite the biggest standout of the entire film yeah he ought to be a breakout star after this yes he really should. yes i totally agree but everyone is exceptional and i think i just think that you know this is an interesting way to start this series i think that mcqueen maybe chose this because of you know he made all of these films before the craziness of 2020 you know happened but maybe i I was thinking maybe because of how things played out it just felt like mangrove was the right one to start this you know maybe they said let's just Let's just lead with Mangrove because it just makes sense. And I agree, it does. Yeah, it's it it's does. really it feels really prescient and timely, not just because of the Black Lives Matter movement that is, mm. you know, that really, really took hold in twenty twenty, but right like you mentioned, right on the heels of the trial of Chicago Seven, which has its stalwart fans, but also has its detractors. I would say you and I are somewhere in the middle of that, probably closer yeah. to the detractor area, but this but is a better film. This is a decidedly better film than that. Yes, and absolutely. and like I was saying last night when we were watching it, I was thinking, you know, the reason that this is a better film, there are times when when you can say that that The Trial of Chicago 7 is a better written film, but it has it does have a terrific screenwriter, you know, writing it. But this thing is 
a better film through and through because it has a much, much better director directing it. Mm -hmm. Um, so it looks better. The performances are better. Um, it, it it carries more weight. There's more gravitas to it, you know? Well, yeah. And let's just say this. I mean, Sorkin, we, I think we both agree. Sorkin could not direct his protest scenes as well as, as McQueen does here. No, not at all. You're right. So, I mean, just based on that alone, I think McQueen has a better idea of the scope of the whole picture, not just the courtroom scenes. Yeah, I don't think that this is a perfect film by any stretch. No, no. Um, you know, it, it it has, I don't want to say problems, but it has, it has some issues. It lags in moments. Um, and maybe it didn't need to be, you know, a little over two hours. But uh, I'd still say it's it's better than a lot of things that have come out this year a yes, lot. Yes. Um, it's one of the better th- films of the year and, and really just wet my appetite for the rest of this series. I'm very excited. Yes. I think it's an excellent start to this series. Um, I'm giving it four stars straight out of the gate. I'm at a four as well. Awesome. We're right in the same wheelhouse here. Excellent. Our second and final new film this week is the long-awaited follow-up from writer-director Sean Durkin, whose debut film Martha Marcy May Marlene burst onto the scene in 2011. We're talking about the Jude Law, Carrie Coon-led drama that has been steadily gaining buzz for some time. It's called The Nest. The Nest. So I realized that we didn't do like a much of a plot synopsis for Mangrove. Yeah. And so then I was thinking, well, we better do that for the nest, which okay. takes about seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Jude Law is a British man. His wife and kids ostensibly are American and um, they live in America and he gets a job opportunity to move back to London in this like large estate, like practically a mansion, basically. And convinces, convinces his wife and kids to move back to London. And in doing so, their relationship, both his marriage and um, the family as a whole, as a unit, start to rapidly deteriorate. Um, That's it. There you go. Pretty simple. But uh, mm. I'm a sucker for these simple, slow burn, seemingly dull dramas. Um, and so just given that description, you'd think this would be right up my alley and you'd be correct i actually i actually love this film i think it's one of the best films of the year so far oh you you love this film yeah i'm a really big fan of it and and one of the main reasons is that i can't tell who's better jude law or carrie coon in this that Uh, every 15 minutes throughout the film i kept changing my mind yeah so it's a slow burn of a thriller which i really enjoyed i really admired the kind of deliberate pace of Sean Durkin here. You know, he, he presents this as a ooh, relocating family. Obviously the house is going to take some sort of a kind of like seat in what happens here. I'm glad he didn't elect to have a sort of predictable haunted house scenario which this movie could have taken by the way let's just say that it, it could let's have I, th- I feel like this <laughs> is as as haunted as a house can get without having any ghosts yeah absolutely 
but the but the house is absolutely a an important presence in this movie. Yeah. Not a I don't want to say it's a character, but as a presence in this movie. Sure. Uh <laughs> I think Carrie Coon is the best part of this film personally because of the arc that that she has. Um yeah, I mean it's but 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 Jude Law has not been this good in quite some time. I want to say that too. Yeah, He's it's excellent in this film. It's really nice to see him back. You know, back doing meaningful work in meaningful mm-hmm. films that, you know, actually have some substance to them. Yeah, and this what this movie really made me feel was why hasn't Sean Durkin been around in the last 9 years until now? You know, because yeah. this guy really has a style and he establishes a kind of eeriness around this family in this new kind of household and, you know, just overall kind of community and, and, and new, I'm honestly just, just new country where these kids have to go through all sorts of new things together as far as schooling and all that. Um, and just the, there's an overall sense of, uh, uh, with the with the Jude Law character, there's a status uh, kind of focus that he has that really isn't on the radar of anyone else in his family, but it's so important to him. And to see that kind of deteriorate, you know, with the rest of his family throughout this movie is it's kind of scary, and it's. Um, <laughs> it, 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 it's really a troubling film. It's uh, it's it, it is not a horror movie. It is not a thriller necessarily. It's still a dra- It's just a drama. It's really a drama. It's a dark drama. Maybe you could categorize it a thriller as it a thriller, but um, it's it, it exists. It 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 toes a line throughout this entire film as far as what you can categorize this film as. Yeah, I I think one of the reasons that it's so nice to have Jude Law back in this is because he gets to do something that he's actually really, really good at. And there was a spell where, for some reason, he didn't want to do this. And that was playing scumbags. Um, He hasn't played a scumbag in a while. And in this, he's a... He's a terrible person. He's he's awful, Um, yes. And as his situation gets... Um, more and more desperate he becomes more and more um, erratic in his behavior and uh, then he becomes more and more desperate and um, it's you watch him slowly unravel and reveal who he really is how bad of a person he really is and um, you kind of see that some of those personality traits that he's been exhibiting um, has been slowly hurting his family, even his kids, you know, uh, his daughter's acting out. His son is, is a mess just emotionally. Um, and he's oblivious to it because he, all he cares about is status and um, maintaining this, this allure of wealth, this, this, this mirage of, of, you know, prosperity um, which drives his wife insane, and she calls him out on it num- a number of times. She is not here for his bullshit. And those are some of the most satisfying scenes when Carrie Coon really just is at dinner parties and is just fed up and just calls him out on his shit right in front of his his fancy friends that he's trying to impress. Um, those those dinner scenes are just delightful. 
Um, but there's several shots in this thing that blow my mind. Not just shots, but like scenes themselves. The nightclub scene where she tells him off in front of his clients and then leaves without telling him and just goes to a nightclub and just starts drinking and dancing. Um, that when she starts dancing, that's that shot just took my breath away. Uh, the scene where he's in the taxi telling that story to the oh, driver. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. his best scene in the film, I think. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, yeah. There's a reason this, this is getting um, some acting award buzz um, for the two of them um, because they're both just phenomenal in it. I, I think the film as a whole might be a little dry for many audiences, and that's why it, it might miss out on some bigger awards consideration. But I have a hard time imagining this won't be in my top 10 by the end of the year. I was a big, big fan of it. I'm giving it four and a half stars. Ooh, wow. You're a big fan of this. I think yeah, it's I near think, perfect. I think I was, uh, as the film went along and where it lands, I think uh, uh, left me a little bit on the other end of it. I like this film quite a bit but I don't love it. I feel like this might be one of those films that I'll watch later on and maybe I'll find something else. We'll see where another watch leaves me with, but I'm at a three and a half on this. Really? I do like it. See, I was a giant fan of Martha, Marcy, May Marlene as well. I believe I gave that four and a half stars also. Like that film a lot. So I, um, like you, I am frustrated with Sean Durkin and I wish he would make more films more frequently. Maybe he will moving forward. We'll see. Here's the hoping. Okay, it's time for us to take a break. When we return in a matter of a minute or so, we'll dial things back to lighthearted territory as we count down our choices for the six best Lorne Michaels produced films of all time. Welcome back to the show. Uh, The last time we taped an episode, it fell on Lorne Michaels' 70th birthday. And to commemorate the TV producing legend, we thought we'd take a peek into his roller coaster of a film production career. It's quite an interesting one, filled with both highs and embarrassing lows. And we decided to rank the six best films produced by Lorne Michaels. I'm very curious as to what you have on your list. I think we're going to have very different lists. Yeah. Um, I think we both might even have some surprises for one another. Maybe, yeah. What do you have at number six on your list? Oh, this is a classic uh, one for you, one for me. I think that uh, we're doing this for you. (laughs) 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 This is something you really wanted to do. Um, Because I don't think there is enough to fit six good movies here. Um, Whew, this was tough, man. And I even rewatched some things. Mm-hmm. So this will tell you a lot. 
my number six movie is a movie that I don't even think is good. I don't even think is a good movie. But it's here. Here it is. It's funny enough. And that's Coneheads. Ah. Coneheads from 1993 where we saw a ton of people. Maybe the most stacked cast I have in this list. And it was because it's a lot of people who were yet just on the brink of being big stars that were in this movie, like Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and David Spade and all sorts of people, Eddie Griffin, Sinbad, all sorts of people in this movie. Um, But it's really the vehicle for the SNL sketch family played by Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin, the alien conehead family (laughs) um this movie is not great there are it's very all over the place but as i was watching it again recently i just thought you know what this movie plays by its own like (laughs) just said at one point this movie just fucking doesn't care man it plays by its own rules and it does what it wants and i was like you know what i'll kind of embrace it for what it is and when I chose to do that, I was like, you know what? This movie's fun in its own right. It's not great, but it's fun. And it does what it wants to do. And if you look at it that way, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, this this movie's not great, but it's funny enough at times throughout the way. Uh, th- this is... Well, go ahead and, and put one on the chalkboard for... Um, for films based on SNL sketches. So that's that's one yeah. up on that column. Yeah. Um, uh, this is one that uh, a lot of people absolutely hate. Uh-huh. And I get I, why. I get why. I, I've never really understood why. I think it's so silly that it's kind of fun. It didn't make my list, but it is very silly and fun and kind of oddly original, you know? Um. A couple of weeks ago, we did the best films about the news, and you led right out of the gate with a film that you admitted was um, likely most people's number one. And I'm about to do the exact same thing with Lauren Michaels. Number six on my list is Wayne's World. You fucking suck, man. I've (laughs) never... You suck. I've never been much of a Wayne's World fan. And you're a honestly. 90s guy. I know. I, I just, there are reasons I've never been much of a Wayne's World guy. And I rewatched it the other day to give it an extra chance and just see it with a, with new eyes. Um, and I just think it's really overrated. It's not that it's not funny. It, it is funny. I just don't enjoy Mike Myers. I don't like Mike Myers. I don't like the Austin Powers movies. I don't I don't even like Shrek. I just don't like Mike Myers. <laughs> I don't even like Shrek. That's funny. I, I, I don't I don't enjoy Myers. I don't enjoy Rob Lowe, and I definitely don't enjoy the Myers versus Lowe. Oh sh- Lowe shtick. is terrible. 100%. Yeah, Lowe is actually bad in this. Um and we'll get to that again later. But um, Oh, don't tell me you're gonna have Tommy Boy above Wayne's World. <laughs> Damn it. I'm gonna get mad uh, now. I think Tia Carrera is fine in this. Um, she's fine. Um, and it's always nice to see one of Dom DeLuise's sons. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the reason uh, I think what saves this film is that I think that Dana Carvey is on an, an another level. Um, yeah. 100%. I think Dana Carvey is actually 
phenomenal in this movie. It's it is tremendous comedic acting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I he saves this film for me. He he is so funny, so electric, and I can't take my eyes off of him when he's on screen. Um he really really saves this. I think some of these jokes are just they're not that funny. They they're just kind of like you kind of just chuckle a little bit. I I don't I never found anything like riotously funny, you know. And I think that's <laughs> I think that's just because I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Mike Myers and I don't think his style or brand is for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. I know we're going to talk about this later. So yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll much table, later. We'll Way table. later. Number one. It's number one on my list. Anyway. We'll t- table this discussion until number one. <laughs> that was spoiler alert. Um, that's, that's a great spoiler though. If number give five. Them. Number five on my list is a movie that would be on a lot of people's lists, but I never liked it at all. And then I watched it again this week and I was like, I liked it more than I did when it was released, but you know, it doesn't say a whole lot because I don't like, for instance, number six on my list was Coneheads. I don't even think it's good. Um, this, I also don't necessarily think it's very funny or very good. It's funny enough to make number five on my list and that's hot rod okay um this movie directed by akiva schaefer before the lonely island was kind of a thing in 2007 was written this movie's written by pam brady who solely sole credit writer who was a writer on south park bigger longer and uncut and some of the South Park show before this. Uh, you can kind of tell that it's not, it, it, it's like, it's not really a Lonely Island effort because those guys hadn't formed yet. They were trying to like kind of establish themselves separately. Yeah. Um, On SNL with Andy Samberg and all that. I mean, they're all here, of course. You know, Yorma, Akiva, and of course Samberg are all here. But it's kind of like a, this was, this movie reminds me, you know, a lot of people have compared it to this and rightfully so of Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. This movie has, this movie has a Napoleon Dynamite vibe to it. Sure. Let me just say this. I'm not a Napoleon Dynamite fan. Never thought it was funny at all. This is funnier than that. Um, and only because when I watch it now, I have all this past experience with those guys and I love, and I adore them and I kind of want to protect them. So I watch it now and I'm like, uh, yeah, but, but these guys are great. You know, <laughs> there's some things in this movie that are just not funny. Like Andy Samberg's Rod Kimball character, who's a stunt, a so-called stunt man has, um, parental figures who are played by Sissy Spacek and Ian McShane and they're just not very funny in this movie. They're just really not. Yeah, they're I, not. Especially Sissy Spacek. She gets nothing to do in this movie. Poor thing. Um, Ian McShane gets a silly kind of side story with Sandberg where they're competing violently with each other. What really makes the movie kind of ultimately work okay is they let Bill Hader do what he wants and Bill Hader creates a character kind of out of thin air and he's funny because he's Bill Hader. But um, 
and Yorma is really funny in this, but what really, what, what I really, why this doesn't rank higher for me is because Danny McBride really doesn't get anything to do in this movie. He just yeah. doesn't. Yeah. This was really before we, we were fully introduced to Danny McBride. So it was right of, before pineapple express. Yeah, yeah. He's a side character big time. And, in this. and he's just kind of just is there. But but he does have some of the funniest moments in the film. He does, but he's but he's also left to dry, like in a lot of it. So I I hold this movie a, a a little bit back, but because we are in, you know, such light waters here, that's why I have it at number five. I see. Number five for me is a movie that I barely got in, um, and that is. Kids in the Hall, Brain Candy. I watched it at <laughs> six o'clock this morning in order to squeak, squeak this thing in. And I'm glad I did um, because it is exactly what I expected and wanted. Um, it's really, you know, the four guys doing uh, several characters each. And, um, you know, a lot of people write this film off as just like a, a, a dumb, fun way for them to dress up in different outfits and do in costumes and makeup and wigs and, and play their goofy little characters, you know? Um, but I think it's, it's kind of inspired, honestly, like it's, it's kind of dark humor and it's, it's kind of a very original story. Um, but, uh, I feel like they're, they're all terrific. Um, uh, Clearly, the main character in this is Kevin McDonald's character, who is the inventor of this drug that helps you, um, that that's supposed to cure depression by um, locking on to your best memory ever and keeping you there with it. But then people, you know, fall into a coma and, and can't get back from that best memory. Um, as famously shown to us by Scott Thompson when he plays uh, a grandmother whose shitty family came to visit them, visit her for 15 seconds. <laughs> it's a very, very silly moment, but all four of them, all four of the kids in the hall guys are, are terrific in this. Um, there's a Brendan Fraser sighting for like there is. 10 seconds. That's pretty hilarious. Um, one of the, my favorite gags is that uh, um, uh, Mark McKinney's character keeps holding um the, a copy of drug variety magazine it's just like variety magazine <laughs> only it says drug variety magazine mm-hmm. and he plays the ceo of this pharmaceutical company it's little silly little bits i i, I see that J- janine garofalo was in the cast she was in the credits i never saw her in this film but um it's really a vehicle for for mcdonald mckinney mccullough and thompson to just go full bore with a budget and just do crazy zany stuff in their quintessentially like slightly dark twisted humor you know and and foley as well who's nice oh i forgot about dave foley too you're right you're right he but that's what's funny is that foley isn't in this nearly as much as the other guys foley only plays like a couple of characters and uh and doesn't have nearly as much screen time as the other fellas do but like foley is someone who for me though is like you know, he's the David Spade I've always wanted David Spade to be. He's better than David Spade. Yes. You know? <laughs> yeah. But and yeah, it, McKinney is really funny in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the reason why I almost put this on my list, but I yeah. do not have it on my list. 
I understand. Moving right along, we're mm. at number four. Number four for me is Wayne's World 2. Ooh. Um, it is a sequel that I think really works for a lot of reasons. Uh, you know, you, you touched on a little bit of Wayne's World, and I think that Dana Carvey... Well, this is this is the quintessential Dana Carvey performance as Garth Algar. He's ridiculously funny, and he's just entirely engrossed in this character. It's amazing to watch. And in Wayne's World 2, he gets this lover's romantic arc with Kim Basinger, and it's mm-hmm. just... There's some priceless moments with him in a laundromat with Kim Basinger and love <laughs> scenes with Kim Basinger... And it's just great. Um, then you get Chris Farley, who's playing an entirely different character than he did in the first Wayne's World. Yeah, he's only in one scene in the first one, and that's it's yeah. like a two-minute scene. Yeah, yeah, he's like a bouncer, almost like a limo driver in the first one. But then in this one, he's playing like a uh, roadie of sorts, where where Wayne and Garth are kind of organizing a Woodstock style thing that's called Wayne stock. And I think that this movie is kind of an amazing, it does an amazing thing where it not only, you know, so they already kind of made a SNL skit into a full length film successfully in the first one, but then they very quickly within a year, figured out a way to make a sequel into another fulling film that works in its own right for me. Um, obviously I don't think it works for you, but, um, <laughs> you know, I get what you're saying is that you don't think Mike Myers is great. Never really have kind of latched onto his style of humor. And, you know, I get it. If you don't like his style of humor, you're not going to like these films. But, man, I don't know. There, there's so much that I think really works um, in both of these movies. And this is the one that I think is clearly the only one out of all SNL kind of spinoffs that has merited a sequel. I can't think of another one. Has there been another one? No. I don't know. This is the only one, right? Coneheads 2 is still in production, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 Well, we'll see that maybe next year. Or is that Superstar 2? (laughs) Okay. Well, this is number four for me. Um, Number four for me um, is Tommy Boy. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is another situation, much like what I said about, about... Wayne's world in that one of them I don't like. And the other, I think is doing something truly special. Um, I think David Spade is bad in this. He's bad. He's he's actively bad in this. He Um, looks like he's not even caring to be there. No, he he really does. And there's a scene in which he cries at one point that is the least believable crying I've ever seen in a film in my whole Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. What's again, what saves this film is that Chris Farley is on an entirely different level. He he shows you why he was a genuine, big, bright, hot, shining star and what he could have become had he not died so young. 
um, he, there's just, there's this energy that he delivers this performance with. He is going absolutely all for it and he's having a blast and therefore you can't help but at least have some fun while, while watching him do his thing. Um, it's just, it's truly inspired both in a, from a physical comedy standpoint, but to just his line delivery, his comedic timing was really underrated. He wasn't just some dumb buffoon that ran around and broke things and and acted like an asshole. Um, he had really great comedic timing and, um, there is no way in the world you should buy this, the, the romantic side plot between him and the, and, and the, the, the girl that works there at, at Callahan Auto. Um, but for some reason, he sells it so well because he's so like delightfully, dimwittedly charming. And um, uh, gosh, man, he's just he's really on another level in this thing. He's it's a great comedic performance. I'm not going to argue with Chris Farley at all. I'm a huge Chris Farley fan. I just I watched this movie again and I just don't think it's a good movie. I think it's a I just don't think it's a good movie. I think Chris Farley's excellent in it, but the movie itself is just uh, not very funny outside of Farley. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there in that, like, it's not that well directed or edited. Like, it's kind of clunky. And Rob Lowe, again, is bad in this. And Bo Derek is bad, bad. in this. Mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd shows up halfway through, and he's a lot of fun. Well, he's just kind of there. And I love... Anytime we get to see Brian Dennehy, I miss you, Brian Dennehy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, th- this thing only works because Farley is doing something actually special in this film. Um, so make sure you just miss the hell out of him. So Penelope Spheris, who directed Wayne's World, was hired on to direct Black Sheep, which was the film that was immediately ordered after the success of Tommy Boy. And so that movie was so like, kind of like, they were like, okay, you got to make this real fast because Tommy Boy is such a hit. We need to make another hit with Spade and Farley. And Spheris was later on, much longer after this movie made, was made, she said, it said she was speaking to Farley's official biographer. She said, I don't think I've ever even smiled at anything David Spade's that have ever done. I still have a recording of a message David left on my answering machine where he said, You've spent this whole movie trying to cut my comedy balls off. <laughs> so Penelope Spheris and David Spade hated each other. Just kind yeah, of funny. I, I wonder what she had to say about Farley. I think if she spoke candidly to a biographer about him, it seems like she might have probably, nice things probably to say. glowing words. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. Anyway. So we we are in the top three now. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Let's what's at it. number three? What's bronze? What's the Lawrence Michaels, Lauren Michaels bronze medal going to for you? I'll tell you what, it's not going to be the ladies' man, which I watched this week, and I don't think is as bad as everyone says it is. Let me just say that. Shout out to Tim Meadows. Um, here's another movie that he is in, and that's 2004's Mean Girls. That's number three on my list. Um, mean Girls is a movie that I don't think ever really had a right to be as good as it was, yet... We have Tina Fey adapting the book that it's based on. And Tina Fey is very quick-witted and gives this movie everything it needs to be successful. Um, It's also such a time capsule of a movie, man. You have this moment where Lindsay Lohan is a huge star. 
She's the biggest star in this movie, yet other people in this movie are Rachel McAdams and Lizzie Kaplan and Tina Fey and all these other people who Amanda are like, Seyfried. Uh, Amy Poehler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. uh, lots of other people in this movie who are much bigger now in 2020 mm-hmm. yeah. than Lindsay Lohan was, yet we have to look at it for what it is, and Lindsay Lohan was absolutely the biggest star in this movie at the time. Um, and she's quite good in this. She's fun. She toes the line of, you know, the good and the bad in this movie very well. And she, 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 she delivers the performance that is very kind of like represents the Tina Fey script very well. Um, it, it, it's a movie that I think stands the test of time considerably well for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a movie mostly about clicks and I think that's universal. I think it, I think that's mostly why it will always be kind of like in the forefront. I, you know, it's, it, I think it's a, it's, it's a story that's hitting Broadway soon. Honestly, I think that, that I saw that it's kind of going onto Broadway and for good reason. I mean, it's, it, the whole movie is, you know, the direction is, it leaves something to be desired. Mark Waters is the director who is, you know, not necessarily <laughs> great by any means. He's, you know, he's directed some, some other things that we're familiar with. He, he made, before this, he was, he directed Lindsay Lohan in the Freaky Friday movie. And after this, he made stuff like, just like heaven and ghosts of girlfriends past things like that just ridiculous romantic comedies but this is the kind of movie where i think he kind of excelled and and meshed well with the tina face script um this movie is really about performances in the screenplay and i think that this 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 really the Rachel McAdams moment here where she burst onto the scene. I don't know if we really had an idea of her before this, you know? Yeah. She's did we? Th- no, we did not. She's 30 years old playing a 17 year old in this film. Very believable. And actually pulling it off. Yeah. Um, okay. So here's my second hot take of, of this episode. I did not put mean girls on my list. I rewatched it and it did not hold up for me very well. Um, mm. It would have been number seven uh, because I still think it's pretty good. Um, it just, I I didn't find it as funny the second time around. Lohan is really great in it, um, but I actually think McAdams and Seafried are both actually better. I, I was actually really oh, surprised so how Amanda good I Seyfried thought Seafried was. excellent in this film. She's the yeah. funniest in the film. Uh, she is. I was actually surprised at how, how good I thought she was in this. Um, and then you, you have people that are always good. Polar, Faye, and Meadows. Are Meadows always, is phenomenal in this film. He can do anything. Um, I, I think they're both great. I just, I wasn't wild about the direction more than anything. No, it's so not there's, good. There's certain scenes and there's certain jokes in it that I was just like, that joke doesn't make any sense. Why even put that in there? Why, why, why are you shooting certain things a certain way? It, it did get on my nerves a little bit and I, I knocked it down kind of low and then something, a couple things happened to drop it off of my list. One was watching Kids in the Hall bring candy, and I thought it was better. And the other is my number three film. 
you mentioned that you weren't going to have the ladies man on your list. <laughs> and I expected when I told you we were going to do, we, I, I figured I said there was five stone cold locks for this list and I was going to use my number six as a personal favorite. And I was going to use my number six to talk about the ladies man because I wanted to talk about Tim Meadows and I rewatched the ladies man and it was so much more fun than I even expected or remembered it being. <laughs> I actually, and, and here's why. Again, there's a theme to my list, and it is if you deliver a truly terrific and inspired comedic performance, I give you extra points for it. Tim Meadows, again, much like Carvey and Wayne's World and, and Farley and Tommy Boy, Tim Meadows is on another level. He is so, so funny. He's a legit <laughs> He's a legit comedic genius. This movie should not work at all. It wasn't even a very good SNL sketch, I let mean, alone, let alone. But I, I think Tim Meadows is just, he's brilliant in this. It has no business being funny for more than five minutes. And I, I there's a musical number in this that I think is very, very funny. Um, uh, um, Parnell is only in one scene and Parnell is so, it's so very funny. And, and I think it also helps that that unlike some of those other films, there are supporting performances that I think are really solid. I think Karen Parsons as the love interest, she, you know, she plays, uh, she's on, she's from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Um, I think she's really solid in this. She's very believable in that role as this like serious radio woman who is his <laughs> producer and doesn't want to fall for him, but ends up falling for him. Um, I think Lee Evans, who plays the main guy who has, has whose wife cheated on him with Tim Meadows's character. Um I think Lee Evans is is a really special comedic actor. Like he's he's got this strange presence physically and facially where he's I think he's really really funny. He's very funny in something about Mary and he's very funny in this as well. Um and then you get to the Will Ferrell of it all. This is not one of Will Ferrell's best performances, but he is very funny and over the top and you can tell he's ad-libbing a lot and he brings a lot to that musical number that is very that is very funny and good uh, because because the dance the dance sequences in it are add a lot to that musical number um there's two kids in the hall sightings both kevin mcdonald and and um and mark mckinney are both in it um there's a comiskey stadium shot which is a lot of fun love seeing big baseball stadium shots there's the Julianne Moore scene, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> where she's a clown. Um, that thing is outrageous. I think Eugene Levy is actually kind of lame in it. Um, the, it <laughs> it doesn't probably, get a lot to do. Yeah, it's probably not his fault. But I think, like I said, Meadows is on some other wavelength than wavelength in this thing. And for some reason, this movie is so much funnier than it has absolutely any business being oh man we uh this is the moment where i'm like yes very different lists i think i agree meadows is fantastic here this is a role that he's born to play but man couldn't disagree with you more on a lot of these things but uh let me tell you something i i don't love this movie i actually really like this movie i don't love any of the movies that i've discussed so far because like you i think we're playing in very shallow water um (laughs) it isn't until these last two where i actually say i really 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 love these movies so um, okay ladies move on before i tear into you about this choice ladies man (laughs) all the way up at number three on this dumb dumb list 
Yeah, so obviously number two for me is MacGruber. We have the same number two. I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't want to put this so high, but man, that rewatch was just so rewarding. And I mean, this movie gets better. Yeah, it's legitimately funnier than almost any other film that Lauren Michaels has ever produced. It's. It is really funny, and again, Will Forte is doing is something. A He's doing something nobody else would even think to do. He's he's unreal in this. Will Forte is like, um, like someone very close to me said, is way far ahead of every one of us in his comedy, and 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 then this movie proves it. When this movie came out, no one cared. It did not do well at all. It got bad reviews. It didn't make any money. Yet here we are in 2020, and it has a s- television series ordered for it, and we're yeah. we're getting more of it soon. We're well, actually, in so many it's in production, it's, yeah, and so many people are are have been copying this style of humor mm-hmm. for you know a few years now. It's just he was he was several years early on on what would be trending comedically, you know. Yeah, this this guy Will Forte is. Uh, whenever you see something poorly written about him, it's just like, well, these people just don't understand yet. Obviously, <laughs> and and this yeah. movie is um a prime example of that. When uh, when he was on SNL, he was always one of my favorite characters, and one of the reasons is because he never breaks character. Unlike Andy Samberg and Jimmy Fallon, mm-hmm. he never ever breaks character. He's he is locked in, and that's obviously something that he absolutely had to be able to do for this, because so much of these jokes in these situations are so over the top and oh, ridiculous. Ridiculous, yeah. 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 Bill Hader is the closest you can compare to him, I think. Maybe. You yes. know, I mean, it, it, these two guys are very similar. In terms um, of being on another wavelength. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But man, I tell you what, man, this is, this is absolutely ridiculous how consistently funny this movie is. Yeah. It, 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 it takes the idea of the, you know, MacGyver sketch and it, and it makes you like, it, naturally you're skeptical will this be a feature length kind of concept it doesn't seem like it should be at all but uh what yorma tacone does with will forte and the rest of the cast in this movie is they they really do create something lasting and fortunately we get you know Kristen wig and ryan Philippi to to come along and and then compliment him in this but man and then that villain the val kilmer villain is excellent in this yeah yeah it's inspired casting for to pick val kilmer as your villain i I think wig does a lot of heavy lifting as well in the comedy department because it helps that she is insanely funny in her own right and i would have never thought that ryan Philippe would would work in this role but um, playing like the the straight man, but um, he really, really does. And he, he, the way that they bounce back and forth um, in a very combative way, so very funny. It's um, great. Yeah, it, it's it, this is a stone cold classic. It'll hold up from 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 here to eternity. Honestly, hundred percent agree. It's only going to get better, and I really look forward I'm, to what they do. I'm yes. just so glad we finally agreed on one 
thing on this list. That's it. So, That's all we're going to agree on. So here's our number ones. Yeah. You're going to tell me why I'm so wrong about Wayne's World, and I'm going to no, tell you why you're so wrong about Hot Rod. Here we go. <laughs> Hot Rod is your number one. Absolutely. Jesus Christ. Wow, man. I don't know what to say. I'm not going to try to convince you that Wayne's World, that you're wrong about Wayne's World. I'm just going to try to tell you why I love it. Hit me. Um, well, one, I've seen it more than almost any other comedy in my lifetime. Um, and you know what? I'm not going to say I love Mike Myers because I don't. I really don't. I don't give a shit about Shrek. I don't give a shit about So I Married an Axe Murderer. I don't care <laughs> about most anything. Yes, when Austin Powers first came out, when I was, uh, I don't know, 14, I thought it was awesome. But I don't care about it now. Yet this... Wayne's World is one of those movies that sticks with me forever. It will stick with me forever. And I just think these characters are so memorable, so quotable, and just, I don't understand why you don't think this is funny, man. (laughs) There are so many lines in this where you're just like, how do you, I I don't understand how you don't think this is funny. Like, Garth, marriage is... is punishment for shop shoplifting in some countries. <laughs> like that is a, that is a good line. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of good lines like that. I mean, that's just like a small kind of sample of what's going on here. Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean that this is an endless barrage to me of just excellent writing, hilarious line delivery, and then that, like we've already talked about, and I don't have to compound on that. Garth Algar character from Dana Carvey just absolutely mind-blowing the dedication to the character and it's like this is this is a comedian and an actor who we can't really associate with it much anything else no it's it's either this or the church lady or his Ross Perot impression yeah right (laughs) which is all all of that's in the 90s he didn't do much else after that yeah I mean it's it's unfortunate, but I mean, I think this really shows that Mike Myers really had a lot of talent. I don't think he showed it to to a greater extent beyond this, but I think what he does here is absolutely amazing. And 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 for them to kind of make this sketch into something substantial here, I, I, you know, Rob Lowe, yeah, of course he's not great, but this kind of role doesn't require someone to be <laughs> very good at all. In fact, it's kind of funny that he's not good because it makes it almost funnier that way that he's a yeah. shitty villain. He's a lot <laughs> worse in Tommy Boy. He's a lot oh, he's worse so in bad Tommy in Boy. That. At least he he's... does pull off like the smarmy, yeah. like sleazy guy thing very well. Um, one of what I think is one of the better performances in the film is Laura Flynn Boyle as Mike Myers's ex-girlfriend oh, who keeps harassing him. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's one of the better ones. And that and there too, are some... and Brian Doyle, Brian Doyle Murray as uh, Noah uh, Vanderhoff. Noah, Noah Vanderhoff for Noah's Arcade. Yeah, yeah. So I think the, Alice the way Cooper's they... solid in it too. <laughs> Alice Cooper's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, and just all all the things they get into with the how they kind of up in like they kind of they, like the satirization of selling out later on too with some of the oh things. Oh God, they do that little that little is really uh, funny. 
that bit yeah there's yeah. there's bits like that and the the where he's speaking cantonese to tia carrera oh and that's like, so funny doesn't even bother yeah. speaking and the the subtitles are just going beneath this looking at his watch yeah yeah <laughs> anyway it, it it's an all-time classic for me it's one of my all-time favorite comedies but um, well you tell me why you think hot rod is a stone cold classic because it is also, much like you just said, it is one of my all-time favorite comedies. If I was making a pick six of, of what I think are the my favorite, funniest films I've ever seen, Hot Rod would probably make that list. I, I find it relentlessly funny. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I think that Andy Samberg... I'm not a big Andy Samberg fan. I mean, of the Lonely Island guys, I think he's... You know, I, I think the, the Yorma's probably my favorite Kiva and Andy are pretty close. Um, I, I mean, I, I like Andy Samberg a lot, but I don't love him the way some people do. I never got into Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like, this film is one of the biggest reasons that I love Andy Samberg that much, as much as I do. Um, I just think he's he's relentlessly funny in it. And, and the, the character of, of Rod is so funny because... He has no reason to think that he can do any of these things. He's never practiced any of them. It's just, it is just nonstop confidence and, and just, it's, it's blind confidence. He's never practiced it or pulled it off once. He just assumes because he's a stuntman, because he says he is, and because he thinks his dad is, um, that he will be able to do these things. And I, I think that's a really funny little tweak to the character is that he's, he just assumes he can do it, even though he's never done it once before. He's not even practiced it. Um, and I do think Hater and McBride are so goddamn funny in this. Um, this was the first time I remember really seeing Dana McBride uh, because I didn't see all the real girls when it first came out. Um, and I was just like, who the hell is this guy? Like, like beating this guy up with a trash can and stealing his hat and saying, this is totally my hat now. I've been, I've been drinking green tea all goddamn day. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bill Hader's the, the the scene where Bill Hader tells the story about him tripping acid and working on his on his uh, metal grinding bench is just there's just things like that. Uh, Yorma Tacone's dumb face, his stupid childish face throughout the thing. I just I think that this is. Um, I'm glad you compared it to Napoleon Dynamite because it's a film that I don't like. I'm not a no. fan of Napoleon Dynamite. I think it's just okay. Um, but, but what they have in common is like this, this feel good, um, positivity that exudes through the whole thing. Hot Rod is a lot darker and more subversive because that's just their style of humor. They weren't trying to make a clean PG 13 movie. Um, they're making a rated R comedy that's full of, you know, goofy, dark and, and even, you know, dirty jokes. Um, but it still is imbued with this sense of positivity to it that um, I find really infectious. Uh, Ian McShane, you know, he's not great in it, but I think it's fun that he was cast in that role. You're right, Sissy Spacek doesn't have much to do. But I just find this to be one of the funniest films I've ever seen in my life, and I will love it, like five-star love it for as as long as I'm alive. I... I just Man. I can't I can't get over it. It's we've never had this conversation until now. I did not you know you loved this movie this much. This is this is amazing to me. Yeah, I I think if I were making my list of like my favorite comedies of the of this century, 
it would go pineapple number one, Borat number two, and then Hot Rod would have to duke it out for this is the end for the number three spot. Wow, that's, that is high praise, man. That's how much I love this movie. I remember the first time I watched it, um, I was with a big group of people and everybody was like, let's watch a movie. And I was like, sure, let's watch something cool. Um, I, let's watch a boring drama like I like to watch. Um, and everybody was like, let's watch Hot Rod. And I was like, that looks so stupid. Please, can we not watch this? And I got vetoed down. Um, and within 15 minutes, I was like, <laughs> wait a second, what is this? And then within a half hour, I was just laughing my ass off um, and and was so glad that we had turned it on. And it's it's been a love affair with the film ever since. All right, fair enough. What a well, wildly different list. Very wildly different list. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we were due for one of these wildly different lists. Yeah, and who knows true. that it would be Lauren Michaels to bring it along. Yeah. You, you know, you and I, we don't talk about comedy very often on the show. Not not a whole lot. Um, and uh, uh, it's it's fun that, that it took a comedy list to be the one where we have just divergently different, <laughs> different uh, uh, taste. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We might have to talk about comedy more. Yeah. But there's no wrong answers, so no. Um, I hate to break it to you, but we're gonna be pretty much right at about the one one hour ten, <laughs> one hour fifteen mark. Where where of course where we, we that's just our sweet spot, man. We we of know nothing else. Um, mm-hmm. We went long on Mangrove because it deserved it. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send your suggestions for the Throwback Challenge to the Harmonic at gmail.com. We will be back next week with three new films and a very special guest. Longtime friend, letterboxed pal, and co-host of the I-5 Cinema Bound podcast, among other bona fides, Rob Patrick will be joining us to review the second installment of Steve McQueen's small act series, Lover's Rock, the new Ron Howard-directed Appalachian train wreck that's getting buzzed for all the wrong reasons, Hillbilly Elegy, and the star-studded cast in the romantic holiday romantic comedy, Happiest Season, directed by Clea Duvall. That should be a whole lot of fun. I cannot wait for that. I know. I, I'm so thrilled to have Rob on the show finally. Yeah. We, we were talking earlier that this is this is a episode that is basically eight years in the making since we've met Rob, and, and we're finally going to do this. Absolutely, yeah. We're also going to discuss a pick six with him. We're going to be breaking down our choices for the six best feel-good films, especially during the quarantine era, of all time. So we're talking about films that have given us some positive vibes from an otherwise atrocious year that is 2020. And that will lead us into the latest listener commissioned throwback where we listen to Rob's demand and we give our take on Brian De Palma's 2002 film Femme Fatale. So it's the first time we've ever had a a throwback challenge in which the challenger will be on hand to discuss it with us. Absolutely. We were we were going to give Rob a throwback as well, but we we have three new movies and a triple-headed pick six. So this is going to be a 2-hour episode anyway. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll trim that back as much as we can. Yeah. Um and and I'm really excited for this pick six because Rob is one of the like those feel good dudes that like he loves feel good movies, you know, that that will cheer you up. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I'm really excited for his list. And I'm really excited just to, to go back and revisit some of my favorite feel-good films that have always cheered me up. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I was mentioning to, to you and Rob recently, you know, some people even have a movie that they watch when they're sick, you know, like when you're, when you're, when you're homesick, whether you were a kid or an adult. Um, and it just seems to cheer you up enough that you almost start feeling better. Um, so that, that would be a candidate to throw on to a list like this. That counts. Well. Um, this was a fun episode. Went longer than I thought. Lots of Always. disagreements. You know, we, we, we agreed very much on the two new films. <laughs> we did. Yeah. And then not so much on Lauren Michaels. Can we, no. but I think we can both agree that, that um, Lauren Michaels has not produced very many good movies. No, 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 no. Very few. Just a handful movies. at most. Yeah. Um, and I'm assuming years. you didn't, you didn't rewatch Superstar? I did. Yeah. It was excruciating. Oh, I saw that in the theater. I did not. I saw it this week for the first time in 20 years. Oof. Wow. Mm. Well, on that note, I believe we will see you next time. Oh, we will. And Rob is going to see you too. Yes. We we and Rob will see you next time on the Film Harmonic. Substitute.